When mariners describe a tempest that nobody can escape, they call it a perfect storm. Not perfect in the sense of ideal, but perfect in the sense of complete, containing all the factors that make for an insurmountable tempest. These are hurricane-force winds, plus a drop in temperature, plus driving rains. Each element alone would be difficult to deal with, but combined together, they make for an impossible, impossible storm to overcome. The winds plus the cold plus the rains make for a perfect disaster. But friends, you don't have to make your living on the sea to understand what a perfect storm is like. All you need is a layoff plus a recession or a layoff plus a disease or a layoff plus a boyfriend breakup or plus a job transfer or plus a parent dying. We can handle one disaster, most of us, but combined with two, sometimes even three, all of a sudden we find ourselves asking, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this one. Paul has a response to that thought. He would say, regardless of the circumstances, I know this is hard to hear or crazy to hear, but regardless of the circumstances, there is a peace that passes all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, God's done his part. He's done it by sending and offering and raising his son, and so he asks us, based on on those acts of love to do our part. And that is, as we've seen so far, number one, make the rejoice choice. Number two, keep a level head when everybody around us is losing theirs. That our gentleness is made evident to all. Because we know that we can take whatever it is that we're facing, we can take it to the one who created this world in the first place, and we can put it in his lap. He's our father. He longs for us to do that. And so we can take whatever it is with a heart not just of I need or I desire, but with thanksgiving. And God says with that, a peace will come that passes all understanding for every situation. Now, it's not a, it's not a natural peace at all. It's not, it's not a conjured up. It's not a willed peace. Scripture will tell us this. It is a spirit-given, supernatural peace. And it really does transcend all logic. It really does transcend all efforts to try and explain. It is a divine calm in a storm. And some of you have experienced it. I, I, know, I know you now well, having spent a couple of years with you, some of you have faced some immense struggles and difficulties, and yet you will say this, I, I should be worried, but I'm not. I should be grief-stricken, but I'm not. I should be upset by this, but I feel pretty comfortable that is the peace garrison that Paul speaks of that can surround our hearts in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul knew this firsthand. He knew this supernatural promise of peace, but he experienced it firsthand. And of all places, we find out in the book of Acts, through a man by the name of Dr. Luke, that Paul faced this mammoth storm before he ever reached Rome where we're reading his letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi from about peace. So I want to invite you this morning to keep that in mind the next time that you hear Paul say these words. Be anxious about nothing. <laughs> because if anybody can teach us to enjoy God's presence and yet not necessarily experience absence of pain and hardship, I promise you it's the Apostle Paul. Let's take a look at the storm. In Caesarea, Paul's placed on a ship. Now you can follow this up on the screen if you'd like. 
And that little town over on the far left is Caesarea. Paul's placed on a ship there, and it's bound for Rome. True story. Medical doctor by the name of Luke, he's traveling with Paul, chronicles what has to be one of the worst storms ever found in literature anywhere. Luke writes that a Christ follower by the name of Aristarchus was with them, some unknown brother in Christ was with them, but also with them was a group of guys who were destined for the Roman arena to be fed to the lions. Well, the ship launches, and it's peaceful enough to begin with. They enjoyed smooth sailing until they reached Sidon. And that's where Luke notes that they changed ships. Now, scholars write that most likely it was an Egyptian grain ship about 130 feet long and about 36 feet wide. It's a sturdy vessel, but it really was meant to be sailed in calm waters for short distances, not really meant for strong winds and long distances on the open ocean. Luke goes on to write, They reach a place by the name of Snidus, but they do so with great difficulty. And from there, they sailed, you can see this also on the screen, they sailed just under the little island of Crete until they reached a place called Fair Havens. <laughs> and I thought this was kind of funny doing the research on it this week. Fair Havens doesn't sound, I mean, it sounds a whole lot prettier than it actually is. As a matter of fact, I, there's no doubt that the Chamber of Commerce gave it that name to try to lure visitors there. Because even the sailors didn't want to stay in Fair Havens, all right? They say, no, we want to move on just down the coast to Phoenix. They knew. There's no way in the world we're going to make it to Rome through this winter. And so let's go harbor in Phoenix and ride it out there. The Apostle Paul does his best to say, I wouldn't do this. Because I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. Perhaps shipwreck, loss of cargo, injuries, and death. But they didn't listen. And we understand why. I mean, he's a Jewish preacher. What does he know about the sea? Well, they didn't know that this would be Paul's 12th trip on this journey. They didn't know that this man had logged over 3,500 miles on the sea. He knew a little bit about what was going to happen. Which brings us to Acts chapter 27 and verse 14. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, and so they weighed anchor, and they set sail underneath the shore of Crete. But before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island, and all of a sudden they find themselves in the middle of the perfect storm. Before they knew it, the temperature dropped, the sails whipped, and the waves rose. And the sailors reached, or actually they searched for land, but they couldn't see it. They couldn't see anything. They couldn't find the sun. They couldn't find the stars. They tried to find an end of the storm, and they couldn't find that either. All the components of a perfect storm were stacking up. The winter sea was met by a warm wind. The boat was not designed for sailing in strong winds. And the crew was anxious. Now, any one of those three elements was manageable on its own, but collectively it became formidable. So the crew did what it could. They hoisted the lifeboat aboard. They strapped the vessel with cables underneath it. They lowered the sea anchor. They jettisoned the cargo. They even threw over needed equipment to just sail the ship. Nothing worked. And so verse 20 reads like a death sentence. Read with me. When neither sun or stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Those are desperate words. We gave up all hope of being saved. 
We're going to read a little bit later in this letter that this storm lasted, and this is even hard for me to say, 14 days. 14 days. You put me in that kind of a storm for 14 hours, and all of a sudden I've become barnacles, all right? You, you put me in that storm for four days maybe, and I'm in shock. But 14 days, no sun, no snark. All, all, all they had was bouncing up, looking at the heavens, and falling down in 15, 20, 30-foot swells. <laughs> the Scripture says that they lost their appetite. Really? That's probably not all they lost. <laughs> they also lost all hope for life. But... When they gave up, I want you to notice this, Paul speaks up. Verses 21 and 22. Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left fair havens. You would have avoided all this injury and loss, but cheer up, not one of us will lose our lives, even though the ship is going to go down. Man, I love that contrast. And I hope it's a contrast that our world can see as we move through the perfect storms Right here in Kerrville, Texas. For Paul, here are these professional seamen who were free. And they're afraid and without hope. But here's this prisoner, Paul, who's in chains. And he's the one who not only has the courage of the moment, but he has the hope for the whole ship. Question. What in the world did Paul know these guys on the ship didn't? Better question. What about this story do you need to know for the storm maybe that you're in. Because maybe you're facing your own Northeaster. Maybe you're facing one challenge after another. Maybe it feels like you've been at sea for 14 straight days, never seeing the sun, never seeing the stars. Maybe it seems like you are forever just up and down and up and down. You're not sure that you've experienced calm sailing for any length of time at all in your entire life. And it's you that I hope that the Spirit brought here today to hear this message. Because maybe you've already called the lawyer. You've checked into rehab. You've gone for counseling, and yet the wave still sends you up and down and up and down. And you're wondering, is there any calm to this storm? Could the words of Paul to these storm-tossed sailors have any hope for me? Well, let's look this morning at the secret that I think is in these words of God. But first, this is not easy to say. A rebuke. Paul says, you should have listened to me. <laughs> Some of you are thinking right now, you mean those words actually are in the Bible? <laughs> yeah. You should have listened to me. You thought maybe your parents were just making it up because they were high-handed with authority. Or maybe that judge was high-handed. Or that teacher was high-handed. Thought they, they were somebody. And you were nobody. You should have listened to us first. When we ignore God's warnings, God wants us to understand there will be consequences. See, right in the middle of the storm, Paul issues a rebuke. And I think we have to stop for just a moment and say, none of us likes to be rebuked. I don't even like to be corrected. How about you? But if we're going to talk about anxiety... And we're going to talk about it truthfully. We have to talk about this. Because the truth of it is, some of you have made some decisions 
and you're experiencing anxiety and worry in your life, not because life's just gotten to you or the world is against you. We all bring unnecessary anxiety on ourselves because we make foolish choices. Anybody here say amen to that one? Yeah. We all bring unnecessary anxiety on ourselves by our foolish choices. Dave Ramsey calls that stupid tax. Isn't that great? No, it's not. I've paid enough stupid tax in my life. I could have retired early if I had just listened to God. Maybe some of you could say that too. So, part of your healing this morning is going to be based in this simple truth. Part of your peace this morning is going to be based in this simple rebuke. If God told you no, stay away from that, and you said, never mind you, I'm going ahead, you brought this anxiety on yourself. He told you to stay away from sex outside of marriage because it would result in chaos and you didn't listen. He told you that the borrower is going to be a slave to the lender, but you went into debt anyways. He told you to cherish your spouse and to nourish your kids, but you cherished your career and you nourished your vices. He cautioned you about strong drink and the wrong crowd, but you wouldn't listen. And now you're in a storm of your own making, and I just want to say, hear that lovingly from God. You made this, and please know that it's not the last word. But it is the first step towards peace in your storm being realized. Because you see, God rescues those that he loves, but only if they're honest about their failures. Hear his word on this. In 1 John chapter 1, and verse 8, he says, If we say we have no sin, if we say we've never done something that was disobedient to God, we've never done anything rebellious to God, we're liars. We're fooling ourselves. The truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins because we can trust God to do what's right. And old friend, you can. So please don't despair. God is ready to help you write a new chapter in your life. In fact... I think it's worth noting that while this chapter contains one rebuke, Acts 27 has one sentence that contains three promises. Here we go. Number one, Paul says, you're not alone. You're not alone. And here's the verse that that comes from. It's verse 23. On the last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me, Paul told the shipmates. And here's what he said to me. Don't be afraid, Paul. Wow. I just read by that pretty quickly, but did you notice an angel on the deck? An angel on this sinking ship decides to come and make sure that they understand all hope is not lost. Paul sees an angel that comes and stands right next to him in this stormy night when the rains are falling, the winds are howling. All of a sudden, Someone he never would have guessed would be there is there. And he comes to talk to him and he comes to encourage him. And, hear me church, he still does. He still sends angels. Again, don't take my word for it, take God's. In Psalms chapter 91 and verse 11. He says, God, I will command my angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Hebrews 1 and verse 14 says this to those of us who are believers. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? I love this. 
Angels are still among us. They're still among us. And Paul reminded me this week, and I'm like, oh, yeah. And I hopefully reminding you this week, you'll go, oh, yeah. Remember in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're thrown into a fiery furnace, and the Scripture makes sure we understand they're not alone. That somebody's in there walking around with them. And I say that because some of you are feeling the heat right now, and I want you to know you're not alone either. In the New Testament, after Jesus has already ascended, gone back to heaven, an angel sent to walk Peter out of prison. Well, some of you are in your own personal prisons, and I want you to know this. There is an angel who'd like to help walk you out if you'll follow. On more than one occasion, I believe that God sent angels into my life to help save me at very specific times in my life. One of them was when I was in a horrible car accident as a junior in high school. Not going to go into that story. I've already told you that story. But there was angels, two of them he sent, to help me through that experience. When Gail and I were about to get into our teen years, he sent another angel into our lives to share some extraordinary truths that changed forever the way that we parented. On both occasions, I believe angels were sent to us because of the extraordinary way they appeared and the extraordinary way they disappeared. And if you want to hear about those stories, I'll be glad to tell you personally. But I've told you all of those stories in some context since I've been with you here. So I don't want to repeat them. The scripture never says angels have stopped moving among us. And until it does, I'm going to keep believing that they are. One of the ideas that I love most about our gatherings is this. That the angels that are a part of ministering to us and leading us through this world come here to this place here. So not only... Is any one of us who stands up here or is down there responsible for trying to bring us into the presence of Christ? These angels are fighting for you to hear from God. I'm right here. And I am with you. And if welcomed, we will change how you do life. I love that. King David says angels are assigned to the task of watching over you. Jesus says the Spirit of God indwells you. The writer of Hebrews says you've got this cloud of witnesses encouraging you from heaven itself. You were never alone, friend. Never. God's trying all throughout this story to let you know you don't have to do this by yourself if you don't want to. Number two, you'll survive this storm not just because you're not alone, but also because you belong to God. Listen again to verse 23. For there stood by me on this night an angel belonging to the Lord whose I am and whom I serve, saying, don't be afraid, Paul. There's the second promise. Question before we look at this one. Are you his? I know he created you, but have you welcomed him to adopt you? Paul had. And I'm inviting you to do that today. Can you leave here today saying, I am his and he is mine? Here's why that's important. When parents send their kids to summer camp, they have to sign a document that asks, who's responsible for this child? If Brenton breaks an arm or Tanika has an allergic reaction to something there at camp, they're going to want to know, who's responsible for this child? Now, hopefully their parents will sign that agreement. But even if they won't, God wants you to understand something. He will sign yours. He will be responsible for you. When you place your heart in his hands, he becomes responsible for you. 
When you call Him the sovereign of your life, Scripture says He becomes responsible for you. He who begins a good work in you when you enter these waters of baptism and say, I want His name over any other name in my life. I want His will over any other will in my life. When I go in there and die and I am raised to life, He who begins a good work in you, Scripture promises, will be faithful to complete it. He will. Because He's your shepherd and you're the sheep. You're His bride and He's the bridegroom. You're His child, He's the Father. Oh, sister, that's why I can say with confidence, you will survive this storm. He will get you through this, no matter what the storm is. Because you're not alone. You belong to God, and here's the last one. You're in His service. When you put on the name of Christ, and you become secondary, He says, would you do me a favor? Glorify me in your body then. Because I bought you with a price. So I'm asking you, would you glorify me in your body? And if you say yes to that, you belong in his service. Paul did. The reason he's on this ship is because he's following God's instructions to go preach the gospel in Rome. He has God's word. He's going to make it there. And so he's not worried that he's, he, he's not going to survive this storm. He already has God's word. I'm going to be in Rome. Now, most of you here in this audience... You're not going to have that much of a clear mandate about what God wants to do in your service. Maybe you will. But you will know this. You will not live one day less than you're supposed to in His service. You will not. No matter where you go in the world, Joe Snyder's about to go over to some crazy place across the globe. He doesn't have to worry about his life. He will live in this world as long as God's got work for him to do. And when he doesn't have work to do, he'll take him home. You have that same promise. Paul had that same promise. I had that same promise. If he has work for you to do, he's going to keep you alive to do it. Do I have a word on that one? Sure. Psalms 139 and verse 16. Your eyes saw me before I was put together. And all the days of my life were written in your book before any of them came to be. Now, I don't know what you think about this, but no life is too short. And no life ever is too long. Because Scripture says every person lives a number of days that God's already determined for them to live. Now, I don't know how all that works amidst all the tragedies and stuff that goes on in this world. I just trust the Word of God that He's large and in charge. He's in control of all of this. And I have placed my life in His care. And that's good. And it's really a great way to live as far as anxiety goes in this world. He's got this. So, I don't have to be anxious. And neither did Paul. Now, does that mean that I'm going to live problem-free days? Absolutely not. <laughs> Go back to this text here. Here's a man who's absolutely within God's will and is going through a 14-day storm where he can't see the sun, can't see the stars, can't keep his food down. No, you're not going to go with problem-free days. But you will do this if you so follow. You can't have anxiety-free days. At least anxiety that doesn't dominate you. Let's wrap this up. In verses 25 and 26, the angel says, Don't be afraid. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all these who are sailing with you. And so Paul speaks up and says, Therefore, sirs, cheer up. <laughs> Remember, waves wind, craziness, chaos. And Paul says, cheer up. Because I believe that God 
will do exactly as he has spoken to me. But we must run aground on a certain island. I love the angel's honesty, but I don't love the implications of this. They're going to have to go through a shipwreck before they reach calm waters. And you know what? Some of you may have to go through a shipwreck before you reach calm waters. You may have to go bankrupt first. You may have to bury a child first. You may have to lose a child. You may have to bury a marriage first. But here's the word of the Lord on this, John 16 and verse 33. I've told you all of this so that, trusting me, you will be unshakable. And you will be assured and deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But I am asking you, take heart. Because I've overcome the world. God has never promised us a life without problems. But he has promised to be there every time we face it. Just ask Noah Drew. He was only two years old when the unthinkable happened to him, but he can tell you probably more than most about the protective power of Jesus. On June 9th, the Drew family, members of the Oak Hills Church, were making their way to their neighborhood pool. They had their kids in the back seat, and they were driving so slowly that the automatic door locks did not engage. And somehow, little Noah opened the door, and he fell out onto the pavement, and his mom ran over him. She thought it was just a speed bump. But it was her two-year-old boy. Her husband, Ben, quickly jumped out of the car. And when he found Noah on the pavement, he immediately told his wife, he's alive. They put Noah in the passenger seat and his legs were covered with blood. And he was shaking violently. Leanna went over to the passenger side. Ben took the driver's seat and rushed their family to the emergency room. Over and over again, Ben remembers Leanna saying, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that he's alive. Noah didn't speak for a long time. But when he finally spoke that afternoon, he said, Mama, I need a Band-Aid. And that's when she knew her little boy was going to be okay. The ER test showed no broken bones whatsoever. A 6,000-pound vehicle had run over little Noah's legs, and yet Noah had nothing more to show than a couple of bruises and some scratches. Later that night, Leanna did what nearly any mother would do. She dropped to her knees, and she thanked Jesus for saving her boy. And then she climbed in bed with him, and she assumed he was asleep. Turns out he wasn't. She wrote, As I was laying beside Noah in the dark night, out of the blue, he said, Mama... Jesus catched me. I said, he did. He said, yes. And I told Jesus, thank you. And he said, you're welcome. She writes, the next day out of the blue, he said, Mama, Jesus has brown hands. And he catched me like this. Stretched out his arms, cupped his little hands. And then the next day he said, Mama, Jesus has brown hair. And when I tried to ask more questions about it, he simply said, that's all. She said, since then, I've tried to ask him more questions, but he says, that's all. But every night when he prays, 
He says, thank you, Jesus, for catching me. Friend, Jesus still catches people. He still extends his arm, and he still sends his angels. And many times he catches us this side of the grave, but he will catch you. He has me. And he ultimately will catch all of us in Christ when he catches us passing from this life to the next. He's given us his word. He's promised to be there. For if I've gone away to prepare a place for you, he says in John 14, I will come back to take you where I am. He promises to get your ship into his port. You can take that to the bank. For some of you, this is a divine appointment today because God wants you to know he is in whatever storm you're in right now with you. If you belong to him, he will protect you and eventually Jesus Christ says, I will catch you. I know he's your friend, you know that. I know he's your Lord, but maybe you just need to be reminded this morning, he's the commander of this storm. He's the one who's large and in charge. And the same Jesus that sent an angel to Paul sends this message to all of us this morning. Please hear it. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. You may be facing the perfect storm, friend, but I assure you this, Jesus offers you perfect peace. And I'm inviting you to take it and live. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning grateful. We don't have to make this stuff up. <laughs> grateful for these promises and assurances that you've given us in Scripture. Thank you, thank you, thank you that we don't have to face whatever we're facing today alone. Thank you for reminding us again we belong to you. That you have a job for us to do. That you're never going to abandon us, no matter what. Father, that's, that's hard for some of us to hear because some of us in this room have been abandoned by everybody. Parents, boyfriends, mates, bosses. We don't know who to trust. And it's for them especially, God, that I'm asking this morning an extra measure of your spirit to help them understand that they can trust you. And Father, if they've never made the decision to, to put on Jesus Christ in baptism, would, would you please nudge them to come down today and start that relationship now? If you brought brothers and sisters here today who've been trying to, to navigate this storm on their own and they have not thrown open their arms to be embraced by you and us as a church, would you help them swallow their pride, swallow their self-sufficiency and allow us to be their arms that carry them, that catches them? Thank you so much for giving us the church. And thank you so much for this day that we can come and praise your name for all that you've done for us. For all of us say in Jesus' name, amen.